hey, hey, what's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. This is Pyromaniac Mo and Stag Party coming at you for episode four of the Pyro Podcast Light. Today is July 20th, and Stag's my man, even though you and I are supposed to be the main hosts of the show, it seems like it's been a while since uh, we've chatted. How are you, brother? I'm good. Been bouncing back and forth. Been on a little vacation, you know, enjoying the time off before you have to really start buckling down here for the season, like right now. That's good. I know there's not enough time in the day, and I tell you what, I'm a father of three, keeping the wife happy, balancing the job, doing the pyromaniac, which I love. So I'm looking for minutes in my day. So what I started doing in the morning. I brush my teeth and take a leak simultaneously. Oh, cutting out the middleman. Yeah, so I'm saving like two minutes, two and a half minutes on my day. And if you add that all up at the end of the season, like I can watch a whole Godfather episode, a whole Godfather movie, and it's like free. <laughs> stealing the time, stealing it. Yeah, I know. I'm. Uh, uh, I got a lot of balls in the air, and I want to have my free time too. Darn it. Anyway, moving on, folks. This is the Pyro Podcast Light, episode four, as I said. Uh, Stag Party and I are going to be doing this during the season, as well as the ramp up into. Once the season rolls around, we're going to have some set segments for you, such as waiver wire pickups, streaming candidates. We're going to talk about trade bait, strength of schedule, starts and sits, answering questions, doing a rookie highlights, player spotlights, and we're going to start off with something we do, Huey Lewis and the news and notes, and Emmanuel Sanders. What say you, Stags? Well, Emmanuel Sanders is now getting pushed to the slot a little bit more this season, uh, especially in three wide receiver sets. He didn't play there all that much last season. He was there a little bit, uh, but he's going to be pushed there a little bit more, and as Mike Clay you know, pointed out on Twitter today, he was just not as efficient from the slot. Uh, he's absolutely, uh, he was more efficient in catching passes. He caught 85% of his 48 targets uh, last season, and then outside he caught 63% of his 107 targets. But what really uh, stood out there is the average depth of target, and we know Emmanuel had some big, big games, whether he was able to get down the field, uh, a little bit, and, you know, from the slot, he wasn't able to do that as much. I mean, he had a 8.9 average depth of target uh, compared to outside where he had a 14.8 average depth of target. So it's definitely something that's going to kind of increase his value or change his value in a little bit. Uh, he, had already, he had already went out and kind of said that he'd be you know, lucky to get 1,000 yards, and now there's news of this. But then there's the flip side of this where it's like, hey, you know, it looks like Latimer's actually going to get some play after being kind of knocked around a little bit uh, here in the last couple weeks. Uh, you know, his value is sort of dropping, people realizing how little they play wide receiver sets. So, you know, it, it affects both guys, and it'll be something we have to see work out, and Emmanuel's going to be playing in the slot more. So expect, uh, you know, those PPR numbers to kind of continue. Well, like what you were saying, that Emmanuel's going to go to the slot when they're in three wide and one of the reasons I'm kind of down on Latimer is that although last year Denver was in top five for uh, three wide sets run, 
Kubiak from the Ravens was rated last year as the 30th. So there was only two teams that lined up with three wides less than the Ravens. And that stat actually comes from Mike Clay as well. And when they've got guys like Owen Daniels, Virgil Green, I don't see them going in wide receiver sets as much. Uh, I'm with you. I think the Sanders um, ADP will probably go lower, but I'm just – I don't know if this news is really great for Latimer as much as people think, but we shall see. In other Huey Lewis news in the notes, Justin Hunter was arrested today, July 20th. Uh, There's few details out there. Uh, He's got felony charges, and under the list, it does contain malicious intent, stabbing, cutting, and wounding. Not going to get into that too much. I'm sure uh, news will be to follow, but could cause Harry Douglas and Doriel Beckham Green to move up some draft boards. Another, go ahead, go ahead, what you got? I mean, the one thing is, apparently the incident happened on, like, July 3rd. Uh, So now that, you know, the news is coming out today, and he was just, you know, finally, uh, uh, I don't even know the word for that. My my police friends are not around to tell me what it is. Detained, I guess is the word. Uh, So, we'll see what happens. I think there's going to be a lot of it, and with something that sounds as bad as it is, like, do not touch this guy uh, at all in any redraft formats right now. He's going to miss some time this season. There's no good news to come from this. No, and the only thing I think would be either looking at Harry, Harry Douglas or Doriel Beckham Green. I'm kind of interested in seeing um, that whole progression there, uh, certainly during camp. And then once the preseason starts, is to see kind of who fills in that role. Also, some other role that uh, a guy maybe has a cloudy future or is a bit uncertain is Reggie Wayne. What do you know about him? Well, Reggie Wayne's apparently, his agent's like creating a little smokestorm right now, saying a whole bunch of teams are interested in him. And oddly enough, they're all veteran playoff teams. So I guess he thinks he's going to drum up some interest in playing for a playoff contender uh, between the Patriots, the Ravens, the Texans. But then everybody's coming out today and saying, oh, not really. And I can't blame him. He played terrible last season, uh, completely inefficient, and he was playing with one of the better quarterbacks in the league. So you got to sit back and look at it like, is Reggie Wayne still long for this league? Will he find a job? And I don't know if he'll find a job, without some sort of injury or, you know, big mistake uh, from somebody else like a Justin Hunter, but they're so deep uh, that he's probably not a guy that's going to take up uh, a lot of the time there. So I I, I don't know if Reggie Wayne's going to actually find a team, and maybe that's why they're going ahead and, you know, creating the sort of smokescreen, trying to get him drum up some interest. Uh, if there's a lack of interest surrounding Reggie Wayne, certainly a player uh, people are spotlighting, as are we, is Martavis Bryant. What do you think of this kid from Pittsburgh? Oh, I really like Martavis. He's uh, he's one of the players, you know, Houdini was a champion for last season. Uh, size, speed, freak, uh, 6'5", you know. Uh, he bulked up this offseason to about 225 pounds, added about 10 pounds of muscle. Doing the things I like to see from wide receivers in the offseason. Working on his craft, working with his quarterback, uh, you know, trying out different techniques. 
So some of the new things Martavis has been doing to his training regiment this offseason uh, basically involves uh, running on sand uh, in order to increase a little bit of mobility there. And then also MMA. He's been working on MMA all offseason. That's helped him bulk up. And also, uh, when I think of MMA, usually the guys who do it successfully are defensive linemen, and they use it for hand placement and uh, you know swim moves and things like that. That's also important for a wide receiver getting off the press. Uh, something that's kind of overlooked, that he'll be better with his hands, with the swim moves, uh, just being able to beat the jam coverage and, and get deeper faster. And for a guy with his speed, that's something you got to really like. Uh, just some things from last season that make you like him. Uh, he averaged 21.1 yards a catch, which was awesome. And then, you know, caught eight touchdowns. And the thing with that is this guy played only 26.6% of his team's snaps last season. Uh, that that went in and increased in the playoffs uh, where he played almost, I think, 80% of the team's snaps in the playoff game without Le'Veon Bell. He targeted nine times, had five catches, uh, and a score for 61 yards. And the thing is, along those lines as well, he was used in different ways towards the end of the season. In that playoff game, they threw him bubble screens. They threw him the deep pass, which they'd been doing. They got him the ball on slants. So, you know, adding to that repertoire and, you know, seeing single coverage every day uh, across from Antonio Brown is going to do, uh, do great things for this guy, especially this guy's college yards per catch number, 24.6, 30, and 19.7. So, you know, just looking at it, in terms of points per game last season, he was the top 15 wide receiver. Uh, Big Ben's been out there praising, praising this guy, saying he's been working his ass off, uh, just trying to be the best at his position, and, you know, working with Antonio Brown, who is one of the uh, best at his position. So I just think all the right things are going this way. All the things that are being said are great. Uh, I love the kid's talent, and those side speed freaks are the ones who always... Uh, take the kind of leap uh, into a top five type of receiver. And I don't know if there's that many of those guys around the league. And I'm looking forward to it. He is a bit of a boomer, a bust player. Uh, so he's best in sort of long touchdown leagues and best ball leagues where you can kind of minimize your risk a little bit uh, by not having to play him in a, a lineup where he only has, you know, say four, five points, uh, Something along that, he catches one pass for 30 or 40 yards. Yeah, to play devil's advocate, just quickly, one thing, he's got the hardest strength of schedule for the wide receiver position. Also, uh, current ADP going eight, uh, 25th off the board, and he's going before guys that are the first option on their team. Well. That said, that devil's advocate being played, I've got him, I believe, 24th wide receiver, so right where his ADP is going. Uh, he only played 10 games last year. He landed in something I call the TPW, which I'm going to talk about later, but he was in the top position uh, for the week four times, meaning in the first 16 weeks, he, he was the top 1 through 12 wide receiver four different times. That's 40% of the games he played. And in those four games, he landed on the top 12. He scored six touchdowns. So 
So 40% of the games he played, he was a wide receiver number one as far as fantasy goes. Antonio Brown, who put up more total points, certainly we all know, uh, he was there 42% of the time. So Antonio Brown, you know, he's got the numbers. Um, He's certainly by far the best option, but uh, percentage-wise, I was surprised at how many times Martavis Bryant was a top wide receiver last year in weeks one through 16. So he's living up to his uh, hype, and I really like Bryant. I might even be moving him up. Uh, Another guy that a lot of people are talking about coming back, there's a lot of uh, fervor about this guy. Some people love him, some people hate him, and it has a lot to do with for his off-the-field activity. But how do you feel about Adrian Alday-Peterson? I feel like I'll take him first overall all day. All day, baby. Uh, Verde to that. (laughs) So we just took him first overall in a – and a Fantasy Pros Expert Charity League that we just started. Uh, they take the top in-season experts uh, from last year and the last couple years, and they invited us all to uh, a 12-team league that we're taking part in. Uh, it just started today at 7 o'clock, so we're like two hours in, and we took them first overall. It's a PPR league, uh, a best ball type of league, so we're taking the guy we feel safest about. And the reasons we feel safest about him is because Norv Turner is the king of getting his runners the ball over and over and over again. Uh, You know, he's back with a a vengeance after, you know, the things that happened last season. Uh, He played, you know, one game uh, and wasn't all that, you know, efficient in that game, but I'm not too worried. Uh, I think a year without the wear and tear is really going to help the guy. Uh, I mean, not having run it 300 times like many of the other backs or touched it like 400 times like a DeMarco Murray did last season, that's only going to make him better. Uh, see, one of the things you got to like is in a PPR league, you have to think he's uh, setting a new career high in receptions. Uh, I think his previous career high is like 43. Uh, North Turner loves throwing his running backs the ball uh, and getting them carries and just feeding them over and over. Personally, Adrian Peterson has never finished a healthy season with less than 1,200 rushing yards and double-digit TDs. I mean, his per-game career average is 115 scrimmage yards a game, and his touchdowns are pretty close to, you know, 0.8 uh, to one a game. So he's getting score you a lot of points. And Norv is one of the notorious, notorious coaches who likes to run the ball in the red zone. He will run it on first down, second down, and then let his quarterback throw it on third down. you got to remember those seasons he had LT, he had a baller, and that guy was just handing it to him on first down, second down. He was getting all the cracks on it. Uh, so you know he's going to get chances near the end zone. I mean, just thinking about two guys with lesser talents, different skill sets, and Matt Asiata and Jarek McKinnon. If you combine those guys' number together... In standard scoring leagues, they were running back number seven, pretty much exactly equal to Jamal Charles. You've also got to like uh, the development of, of the offense as a whole. Um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater was great down the stretch in those last five games of the year last year. Uh, then, you know, adding different weapons, adding, you know, Mike Wallace to be a speed uh, demon down the side. 
Charles Johnson also has that ability. So you got two vertical field stretchers on the outside, sort of similar to maybe Malcolm Floyd and Vincent Jackson in terms of speed and just being able to get deep vertically. So I think they've got you know the success, uh, the rep, uh, just just the ingredients to have success this season. So I also think they'll their defense is pretty good. I think they'll be a very good team, and that'll lead to some clock killing for Peterson. So I think he's going to be on the field a lot, and you know, just just be an all-out baller as he always has been when he's been on the field. Totally agree. Last year, if you combine Asiata and McKinnon's receptions, they had 71 between them. It's already been reported that his receptions could flirt with. 40 or 50. That's Adrian Peterson's receptions, 40 or 50 this year. And with 70 receptions, 71, with Asiata McKinnon, I don't see any problem with AP living up to that 40 or 50 catch prediction. Uh, He's got a chip on his shoulder. I think that's going to work for him. He's 30, but unlike other 30-year-olds, he sat out all last season. He doesn't have the tread on his tires. I totally agree with Norv Turner's offensive uh, scheme. And Bridgewater's progressing. Another year under the belt, and now he's got Charles Johnson, another year under the belt, and he's got the deep threat, Mike Wallace. He's got a healthy Rudolph, which guys aren't going to be able to stack the box as much as they used to against him. Um, Moving to some rookies that we're going to spotlight. Jalen Strong and Funches. I haven't talked too much about these guys. What do you think about these rookie wide receivers, Stegs? I've done a lot of hating on Devin Funches. I don't know where your sources are at. Well, uh, Jalen Strong, though, we haven't done much talking about it, probably because he's on a very, very run-happy offense there in uh, in Houston. So, But you got to like Jalen Strong as a talent. He was a projected first or second-round pick uh, on his laurels. He was a great pick, a steal in the third round, uh, first or second round talent uh, by a lot of different experts, and, and the Texans stole. He pretty much reminds me of an Andre Johnson type of a big body possession receiver who's never going to be, you know, the field stretcher that Nuke is. But you know, he was very, very effective in college. He's a big body guy at six three, two fifteen pounds. Uh, you know, in 26 games in college, he caught 157 passes for 2,287 yards and 17 scores over the span of uh, two seasons, uh, 26 games. And then he went out at the combine and opened up a lot of people's eyes that they didn't think he would have been able to do. And he, he, he blazed a 4-4-4-40. Oh, my God, that's a lot of force. Uh, and then he jumped a huge, huge vertical of 42 inches, which by the way, if you don't know, is huge. It's the fourth best in the last decade among wide receivers. He's a former basketball player in college, uh, or in uh, high school, excuse me, and he's got that kind of pedigree on the field. He will box people out, he will high point the ball, and he will do things you like out of big receivers. Uh, compared to Devin Funches, who doesn't really do that, he's more of a you know fat body catcher, but uh, more on Jalen Strong for right now. He's got some long arms, but small hands a little bit uh, at nine inches, and he's pretty good at uh, beating press coverage. So that's something that you know pretty is pretty exciting. I just don't know exactly what his role is going to be from day one, whether they want to get Cecil Shorts involved, but he can run pretty much 
a route from any position. He could play in the slot. He could play on the outside. He's definitely got the size for that. He could beat press coverage. He could also use his sort of uh, savvy in the slot to get open. And he can catch those, you know, those screen passes and use his size and speed in a Calvin Johnson, Des Bryant-like way to just destroy and bowl over tacklers. But he's not like the superb quick twitch athlete. He's not super fast in space or anything like that. And he's not that true deep ball type of receiver you like to see from his size. Not like an A.J. Green who can vertically uh, stretch the field. But he's more of a possession type guy. He's an all-around receiver. He doesn't really have a true ace in his hole. He doesn't have a great skill set. He's not going to be a dominator in the red zone. He's not going to... You know, be great in space to where they have to get him the ball. But, you know, he's being drafted as wide receiver 76, and I think that's just a little too low. I think I have him somewhere around wide receiver 50. That's where I'd be willing to take a chance with him. I definitely like taking a chance on him a lot more than I like taking a chance on a Cecil Shorts. I'm just not a believer in Cecil myself. So, Jalen Strong, I just really like his all-around game. I think he'll be a decent player. Uh who you can get late in the draft with some breakout potential that might not be there from the guys you're getting around him. We had a great Twitter conversation uh, earlier this summer, and Funches was my pick for wide receiver bust. Now, since then, during that conversation, which you were in, a bunch of guys in the industry were in, Valverde commented on Sammy Coates. I got to say, he's probably my bust pick for out of the top wide receivers, but Funches... He's a 6'4 guy, um, but only caught 60% of his passes and had 22 of them batted down by much smaller cornerbacks. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the end zone threat that Calvin Benjamin is. He just doesn't have that want. He can't high point the ball. Um, he constituted less than 15% of his team's touchdown production. Uh, that was ranked ninth out of the top 10 uh, rookie wide receivers this year. Out of those top 10, his certain fourth down percentage was the worst. So, and all of this is according to our favorite scout at Pyromaniac, David T. Thomas. According to David T., on third and fourth down, his percentage for getting it to first down when they went to him was by far the worst out of any of the top 10 rookie wide receivers this year. Uh, again, despite his height, his height doesn't work for him. Despite his height, he was only ranked eighth out of the ten wide receiver top prospects in the red zone as far as production. This is a David T. Thomas quote, reading in between the lines. This, folks, this comes directly from his scouting report. This is the kind of stuff that Pyro loves to bring in. David T. Thomas is the man. He says of Funches, an inconsistent receiver. Not only draws angst from his coaches and frustration from the quarterback in the huddle, it's also a way of getting fans fired up in the wrong way. When I see a receiver as tall as Funches, whose man coverage assignment quarterbacks averaged 5'10 in height, have 15 passes targeted to him, batted away by his opponent, and 22 in all, I'm concerned. For a tall flanker like Funches, you have to be concerned about his obvious lack of ability to break initial tackles after the catch. Now, Strong. Some people have kind of said the same thing about him. For a 6'3 guy who played against a lot of smaller cornerbacks, he had a lot of passes knocked down as well. But that's really 
Uh, the only knock I've seen, or the only knock that at least David T. brought up about Strong, um, he ranked Funches eighth out of the top ten wide receivers, whereas Strong was ranked fourth, according to David T. Strong was number one as far as red zone work, which to me is a huge sign. That's, you know, when he wants it and when it counts, his perception, his uh, percentage was higher than anyone else's. Plus, he's in a great position. I think with Nuke, the clear number one, uh, he's going to win the contest with Cecil Shorts, whom, like you said, uh, Shorts jumps 42 inches. Cecil was 35 inch vertical leap. That's seven inches. Plus, Strong has two inches on him and about 20 pounds. So I think Strong is going to win that contest all day long. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, can you read off David T's top 10 uh, wide receivers? Uh, I can get to David T's Thomas's top 10 uh, very quickly. In fact, I'm, pretty I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure he had Amari Cooper first. Uh, Devontae Parker second and Kevin White third and then Jalen Strong, is that correct? Just trying to remember off the top of my head here. Just spitballing. But I just want to give him an idea of the that kind of names we're talking about when we talk about Strong's talent level. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm going to get to that. Well, why don't you tell me, as I'm pulling up these numbers here, uh, tell me a little bit about... The 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Give me a, the Scotty Fishbowl update and then even the new one that Pyro joined. So, yeah, uh, we I mentioned it briefly earlier talking about uh, the Fantasy Pros uh, Charity Expert League. Uh, we're trying to win money for the Otis Wilson Foundation, uh, which supports Chicago uh, inner-city youth and youth in general with just health programs and mentor programs and fitness programs. So we're trying to win this league, trying to trying to help Otis Wilson out in 85 Bear and 85 Super Bowl champions. So uh, we're looking to win that. It's it's against a bunch of guys from the industry. We're all you know very, very reputable. Uh, let's see the list here. We've got uh, Matthew Hill, Justin Boone from The Score, uh, Jeff Ratcliffe from Pro Football Focus, uh, John Paulson from 4 for 4, uh, Jake Seeley from uh, Roto Experts, and uh, Mike Clay from Pro Football Focus. Then we've got uh, Ken Zalis from uh, PressBoxOnline.com and FansFantasyFootball.com, uh, Jeff Bruback from TheFakeFootball.com, uh, the Savage Brothers from The New York Times, uh, Sean corner from uh, Stats, and then we got Pat Thorman from Pro Football Focus. So we're in a pretty tight group here of uh, some really reputable sources who we're going to have a tough time uh, competing against, but we're going to you know, use our little pyro knowledge to, uh, to sneak up on some people uh, and hopefully bring home some money for Otis Wilson. Uh, thanks to uh, Data Force FF for hosting that and Fantasy Pros kind of organizing it and putting it all together. Uh, looking forward to it. We just started drafting today, as I said, uh, at 7 o'clock here in Chicago. Uh, we drafted Adrian Peterson, and then we're waiting. We're drafting first overall in a 12-team league, so we've got some time to wait. But I love having that first overall pick, as I've stated many, many times, in a 10- or 12-team league. I feel like I have the most chances at top-tier talent, even though someone's probably not going to slip through the cracks with all these sharp, sharp individuals. Uh, and then we just finished up the Scott Fish Bowl yesterday. Uh, 
22-round draft, playing against uh, some fans and some other experts from around the world's world's largest uh, fantasy football league. So our, our draft concluded yesterday night, I think. So we started off, we talked about many of the first picks uh, already, but I'll just give you a brief synopsis. Round one was Le'Veon Bell, two was C.J. Anderson, three was T.Y. Hilton, four was Eli Manning, uh, five was Amari Cooper, uh, seven was Jonathan Stewart, six was Sam Bradford. Uh, just keep in mind that this is a super flex league, so uh, we're treating it as pretty much a two QB league. It's also a PPR league and a .25 points per run type of league. Then we went after Sam Bradford, and then in the seventh we went Jarvis Landry. Eighth we went uh, Nelson Aguilar. Ninth, or and then the tenth we went uh, Martellus Bennett. Charles Johnson in the 11th, Mark Sanchez, kind of handcuffed him there to uh, Sam Bradford just in case. Uh, we want the Eagles QB was our main decision-making process there. Whoever it's going to be, we think it's going to be good. We shot for the moon and the stars with Niall Davis. Then we couldn't resist the value of Tyler Eifert in round 14. Uh, then we went with our boy Buck Allen, who I'm a big fan of, uh, Matt Jones and Ronnie Hillman. Uh, we didn't get the Monty ball to our C.J. Anderson, so we decided we wanted a piece of that backfield just in case. Uh, so we went with the Hillman there. And then Jonas Gray we drafted in the 18th, thinking that we're going to get at least one nice game out of Jonas Gray. He's going to be a week one starter for us, uh, and that's especially important with a Le'Veon Bell suspension. Uh, hopefully that gets reduced to two games and not the three it's currently at. And then we shot again for the moon with Nick Toon, who happened to be wide receiver 82 drafted, so we like the value there. Uh, then we went Ryan Fitzpatrick, just trying to shore up more depth at the QB position. Uh, shot for the moon and the stars again with Jeff Janis. Uh, we think he could be something pretty big if Jordy Nelson were to go down. Then we finished it off with the absolute moon and stars pick of Chris Johnson, especially with news coming out lately that nobody would be shocked if he's ending up with the star on his helmet come opening day. That's good stuff, especially, uh, you know, giving back uh, to the community, giving back to um, organizations. You know, this fantasy football, we treat it so seriously, but, man, it's fun. If it can be turned into some good energy, that's fantastic, too. Real quick, uh, David T. Thomas, we are incorporating a lot more of his work Thus far, God bless him, he's only asked for bylines. If you follow me on Twitter, I've tweeted out what I'm about to tell you, but we're incorporating a lot of his stuff into the Pyro Pro, which we will talk about, and you can find information about on pyromaniac.com. It's a way of personalizing the mind share for your fantasy football season. But David T., he's already sent me files on next year's rookies. The man is a machine. But according to the scout who's been working in the NFL since 1967, he produces the NFL scouting report for all of the teams. Wide receiver rankings, he had Amari Cooper, number one. This is his final report card. And, folks, I'm looking at 10, 20 charts that talks about all different kinds of stats and different ways of looking at these guys. His final report card, Amari Cooper, number one. Devin Smith, number two. Hmm. Nelson Aguilar. Number three, and then we've got Jalen Strong, number four, Kevin White, all the way to number five, which surprised a lot of people. Devontae Parker, number six, uh, Harper, 
number seven, that's Josh Harper. Number eight, Sammy Coates. Number nine, Devin Funches. And ten is Tyler Montgomery. This is on his final report card, if you look at the ranking, all the way at the end. And he ranks them in all different ways. Uh, but I went to the final ranking based on total points scored all the way at the end. So some surprises there. To recap the top five, according to this scout, Amari Cooper, number one. Devin Smith, number two. Nelson Aguilar, who I love, and we've talked about him, number three. Jalen Strong, four. Kevin White, five. Now, as I said, I've tweeted a lot of this stuff out on Twitter. If you want to follow me, I am at PyromaniacMo, P-Y-R-O-M-A-N-I-A-C-M-O. And then you can follow the rest of the crew, including Stags, at Pyromaniac. Now, that's P-Y-R-O-M-A-N, the number one, A-C. Some other stuff I've been tweeting out uh, goes with my TPW, my top positional weeks. And I talked about it a little bit. I talked about it last week. And that's the number of times in weeks 1 through 16 players finished uh, at the top of their position, meaning if you're in a 12-team league, I figured most people are in 12-team leagues. So I looked at a week-to-week basis, how many times a guy finished between 1 and 12 at the position. And that's one thing I think is incredible for using the late-round QB strategy. I talked a lot about that on Episode 3. I certainly gave a shout-out to J.J. Zacharyson. He is a great follow. He is from Number Fighter. He started the idea of the late-round quarterback but last week, all I talked about was the TPW, the top positional uh, weeks. And again, this is a chart I'm going to start teasing out. I've been teasing it on Twitter. I'm going to release some of the charts on Pyromaniac, and it's, you're going to get all of them on Pyromaniac Pro. Um, but some interesting guys that I think you could pick up. If you're going to stream, as I said last week, if you're streaming QB, this is not for the faint of heart. It doesn't mean having two guys and just plugging and playing. It means being active on the waiver wires. And for week one, some guys that I'm thinking might be available or some guys you could target, Carson Palmer. He's got the fifth easiest SOS, strength of schedule, in week one and first in week two. Tannehill, third easiest strength of schedule week one, tied for 13th in week two. McCown has a nice early schedule with 50% of his eight games he sees one of the top easiest defenses. Uh, That's McCown from the Cleveland Browns. Romo, he's probably not available on the waivers, but if you end up locking him up, three of his first seven games are against top ten defenses. Another thing, another data point that I think people can look at besides the SOS and besides the top positional weeks, the chart that I've been talking about, is look at the Vegas Lions. For instance, Garoppolo... One, SOS for New England Patriots. He's got the fourth easiest opening game for a quarterback. But also, Pittsburgh and New England play. Currently, Vegas has that opening game at 55 points. That's the highest scoring game for week one. So Garoppolo's not a bad guy to start week one with the fourth easiest SOS and the highest over-under at 55 points when they play Pittsburgh. Because when you're starting a quarterback, you want those points. Kaepernick's another guy. Two of his three are his first three games. He faces the best top ten easiest defenses for a quarterback. Foles and Flacco both have really nice SOSs. And uh, Bradford is another guy. Philly and Atlanta open really high, 53.5 total points. 
And if you do the DPW, top positional performances, Chip Kelly last year was Sanchez and Foles. 12 different times was a Philly quarterback, a 1 through 12 quarterback in weeks 1 through 16. That's fantastic percentage. So there's some other data points for you. Not only the top positional weeks, the chart I've been talking about, but also the SOS, and look at the Vegas lines. These are things you can do to help you stream a quarterback early on. And I like some of these guys, Carson Palmer, Tannehill, McCown, Romo, Garoppolo, Cappy, Foles, Flacco, Bradford. These are some guys you can nail down for week one if you're doing the late round QB. Um, as I said, the, the, pro, the uh, TPW charts are available through Pyro Pro, something that we are going to be coming out with very soon, looking to launch it. Uh, in July, you can turn it into a personal way to attack your league. You can put 30 guys into your uh, draft board, I guess, or into your uh, board that you get to see. So rather than pecking and hunting and trying to find the guys you want on the Pyro website, you tell us. You plug in your 30 guys, and we give you write-ups. We give you the strength of schedule. We give you all kinds of info that's going to help you make the best decision come game time. Now, before we get to some questions that you folks have been asking, one thing I want you to know, we do tiers. We've been talking them up and down, talking to we're blue in the face. We love it. We believe in it at Pyro. One thing, if you look uh, at my latest tiers, we did put this for free. I think from now on, most of the tiers that you'll see from the guys, you're going to have to get the draft kit, which is only 20 bones. And, guys, it is phenomenal. 22 tabs of death for your opponents if you get the Pyromaniac draft kit. But on my tiers, if you notice, it's available for free on the, the chart or on the website. It's uh, my version 2. Uh, some things I did is I incorporated the strength of schedule. So if there was a top five strength of schedule, I highlighted that guy in a certain color. If there's a bottom five, I highlighted that guy in a certain color. So if it comes down to it, I'm looking at uh, a running back or a wide receiver, and I can't make my decision, but I notice one has a top five strength of schedule because I highlighted him, boom. It's a way to make D-Day, draft day, a little bit easier. Just by simply making a few highlights. Another thing that you can do, I incorporated ESPN Rounds. The main league I play in uses ESPN for their rankings. That means as we get going in the draft, they're only going to see the people that I'm playing against who are drafting online are only going to see, you know, the top 10 according to ESPN's rankings. So I can have guys way up on my tiers that ESPN isn't going to have shown to the guy because they don't have them ranked until the sixth round. So I know I'm if it's in round three, I can wait a round or two before I pick that guy. So showing what the ranking is, having a little number, and I just do it by round. I'm in 12-team links. I just put R1, R2. Knowing when these guys are going to go can allow you to gamble, can allow you to stretch it a little bit. You can leave a guy on the board if he's not going to go for another three rounds. Uh, and uh, you can focus elsewhere and build the strongest team. One other thing I can do, we all know you're, you're seeing your boys or if you're doing it online, there's a lot of stuff to think about come D-Day. Um, there's too many things to think about almost. So one thing I've done 
we all hate it in the past. If you get a guy and he goes down week one, and man, you don't have his backup. Well, put a little symbol on there. Guys, you want to handcuff. So if you draft Todd Gurley, you're going to probably want to lock up Mason, depending on how Gurley's his health situation. Put a little symbol on there. Put a little number symbol or the money symbol showing that you want to link these two guys. If you get one, you want to handcuff them to another. If I get Jay Stew, I might want to back him up with Cameron Artis Payne. If I get Jamal Charles, I'm damn sure I want to lock up Nell Davis. A lot to think about come draft day. These are just quick, easy little things you can do to your tiers to make it easier and allow you to make the best selection come draft day. Check it out. My tiers are available on Pyromaniac. You can use it and make it your own. See what I've done with the highlighting, with the rankings, with the symbols. Use the data points you feel are important and plug it into your own tiers. Now, folks, we've got some questions we asked and the pyromaniacs answered. The first question says, comes from Twitter. He sent it to me a couple days ago. This is Big A at Iron Dre. He's in 14 teams, 16 man. Oh, that's a short roster for 14 teams. 14 teams, 16 man roster, PPR auction. He wants to know a difference maker, and he's talking about top tight ends. Who is worth paying for? And he, and he mentioned specifically uh, the scarcity. Now, personally, I think there's more scarcity at running back position. Um, and Staggs, you've done a, a cool chart about this. You went back about five years and looked at this, and your chart basically said that, that usually there's a little bit more um, fluctuation in numbers when it comes to running back than tight end. And even last year, looked at tight end, top tight end number one, 184, and then it drops down 30 to tight end number two, drops down 94 points from tight end number one to tight end number two. But if you look at running back, now, it only drops down 6.5 to RB number 2, but it drops down 120 points to RB 12. So to me, that's scarcity. So I like to go running back, whereas a lot of people think Gronk might be worth it. I'm going to talk about that next week. But you got to always keep in mind you're not just drafting Gronk. It's who you don't draft. So rather than taking a guy like, I don't know, Gronk, uh, I'm really kind of targeting folks like Kelsey or Zach Ertz. I think that's the tight end that you're going to be able to bank on. Because if you get a Gronk, you're talking about maybe Isaiah Crowell versus C.J. Anderson in a Zach Ertz or an AP in a Kelsey. I would rather roll with a Kelsey in a top tier, top one running back or an Ertz in a top one running back than giving up a top one running back to go with Gronk and get a later RB. What do you think, Stags? I mean, it's a little bit different in auction-style leagues, though, where you could potentially get that top running back and get a Gronk. Uh, so you still have a chance. I personally would not pay for Gronk. I'd wait for a Kelsey as well. Kelsey's my preferred target in any sort of single draft status for this season. If you can't get Kelsey, who's your number three? Or do you think it's worth a number three? Is there is there somebody close enough to Kelsey for you? No. No. Uh, I have Graham as my number three, but I, I don't want Graham, especially for the price he's going at in many auctions right now. Uh, I'd avoid him. So, 
after, you know, maybe I try to sneak in alerts for like a like a five dollar bid or something, maybe a ten buck tops, depending on what your preferred, you know, money style is. But if I don't get anybody, if I don't get, you know, an Ertz or I don't get a Kelsey, I'm definitely gonna wait and I'm probably gonna pick a guy up for a bucket tight end. I don't think there's that much of a difference but there's not a, that much of a difference between Delaney Walker and Jason Witten and Josh Hill and Charles Clay and I can do this for the next half hour and it'd still be the same guy in terms right. of fantasy point scoring. So uh, at tight end I think if you absolutely think you have to have a Gronk then pay for it but I, I don't think you have to. I'd much rather have one of the cheaper, cheaper guys and go a different route. Get a top-tier type wide receiver who's going to outscore uh, a Gronk on his best day anyways. Uh, get a Julio, a Demarius, or an Antonio, uh, or a Dez. Get one of those guys. Get a top 10, top 11 running back. Get one of those guys. Pay for that. Uh, and that's kind of my position on it. I don't think scarcity matters as much in an auction-style league. You just pay for the things you want. Uh Scarcity more matters in a redraft-type league where you know that you have to take a tight end here or else you're probably never going to get one that's good. But I don't, I don't think it really matters uh, personally. Coming up with Kelsey, I think if anybody's going to put up Gronk numbers or going to be the number two, if you want to bet on somebody, I'm liking the Kansas City tight end. Now you got to figure last year with Kelsey and Fasano – there were 12 different times that a Kansas City tight end was ranked in the TPW. That's They were ranked in the top 12 for their position in weeks 1 through 16. Now Fasano's gone. So there was 12 opportunities for a Kansas City tight end out of 16 weeks to get into the top 12. I'm liking Kelsey with that hole that is now created. Uh, yards after the catch... 503. There was only three other guys that had over 400 yards, and Kelsey had 503 yards after the couch. Kelsey was fourth most broken tackles, and his catch percentage was nearly 83%. Now, out of guys targeted at least 20 times, I should say out of tight ends targeted at least 20 times, there was nobody higher. I really like what Kelsey could do this year. Coming up with question number two, this is from uh, Facebook, Gary Bordreau, sorry Gary, Bordreau, I'm going to roll with. Now, he talks about victory points, folks, if you don't know about this, he, he just asks for your thoughts on victory points. Essentially, it doesn't award head-to-head. So it's he, not, No, it, it, it awards head-to-head. You get two points for a, a win, and then one point for a tie, and none for a loss. But then on top of that, you also get two victory points if you finish top four, uh, one if you finish middle four, and none if you finish bottom four. And that's in a 12-team kind of standard league. So you get, you're get you sort of getting two wins, uh, which if you're getting those bad beats on what seems like an every-week basis where your team's the second-highest scoring and you're going against up the top, you know, highest-scoring team, and your point differential at the end of the season is just minuscule because you guys just face buzzsaws all season long, which happens. It absolutely happens. So I, I like victory points as a way to even it out. Uh, I think it'll it evens out sort of the luck factor, uh, the matchup factor, and it gives you a chance to play the entire league 
almost, rather than just playing one one team a week. Well, that's kind of what I was going to suggest. When I read it on Facebook, he gave an example. In a 12-team league, you get two points for the top four total points of the week. So if you score the top four total points of the week, regardless of who you're playing, you get two points. You get one point if you're in the middle four, and you get zero points if you're in the bottom four. Now, the way I read it, that's all that was given. Read right above that. Well, it doesn't matter. My actual suggestion was to blend the two. So to give like 50% of your points coming from the head-to-head matchups, because I love being able to you know, text my boy and talk junk. And the last time I saw you. So there's something to be said for the head-to-head. But have 50% of your points come from the head-to-head matchups and have 50% of your points come from the total points. Because we've all had it where... You know, you have a fantastic week, except the guy who you happen to play had even better. And he has the top total points, and you were just number two, and it's not fair. And we've seen it go the other way. You know, in in one league, you may have guys who miss the playoffs, even though they've got more total points than somebody who makes it in the other league. And this way makes it fair. So maybe I misread it, but I love the idea of combining the two where you still get 50% of your points coming from head-to-head. So for every head-to-head game you win, you get two points. And then if you are in the top four out of 12 total points, you get another two points. If you're in the middle four, you get a point. If you're in the bottom four, you get nothing. So you're still rewarded for head-to-head, still rewarded for the victory points. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, I think that's a cool idea, and a lot of people, if if it hasn't happened to you, it's going to, where you kind of get screwed, and there's nothing worse than having a huge week, and just because you happen to be slotted against the one dude that has a big week, you lose. So this rewards both. Question number three, I believe this is Jared Tabor. Jared, I love you, man. He was really active on Facebook, and guys, if you haven't seen us, at Facebook slash Pyromaniac. Get on the bandwagon. Come talk with us. We are slinging the goo. We do get NFL history. Uh, you get some just funny, cool stuff that you're going to talk about with your buddies, but then you get all, a lot of fantasy content as well. Now, I'm thinking we can discuss this more in depth. Uh, this could be something for Episode 5, but Jared Tabor says, I need you to discuss TJ Elton, Melvin Gordon, and Rashad Jennings. When doing my mock drafts, I have the option of getting these guys as my RB2. But who's the best? I keep gravitating towards Rashad Jennings. Uh, he goes on. I have the fifth pick. But let's just talk about th- those three guys. TJ Eldon, Melvin Gordon, Rashad Jennings. Who do you like? Uh, Melvin Gordon, TJ Eldon, and Rashad Jennings. First off, I do not mess with backfields with three players. That's one of my sort of kind of go-to rules. I think Andre Williams is going to be involved towards the goal line, so I'm worried about uh, Rashad Jennings' touchdown potential. I'm not worried about that with Melvin Gordon or T.J. Yeldon. Uh, and then T.J. Yeldon, I think, is also going to get some third down work, but be spelled by shoelace. And then Melvin Gordon, you know, he's got some high, high upside. He's a great pure runner, and that's all they're going to ask him to do this season. They've got Woodhead there for the third down, and I think he's got a chance to have, you know, Ryan Matthews two seasons ago uh, had a great season with like 1,200 rushing yards and seven touchdowns. You're, you're telling me Melvin Gordon can't do that as long as he stays healthy? Um, 
I don't know if he's going to catch that many passes. Maybe he gets, you know, 20 just by being on the field so much. But definitely I think Melvin Gordon is the guy to go to in that kind of format, especially if it's not a full-point PPR uh, where it's just a half-point PPR. So i definitely go T- uh, Melvin Gordon, TJ Elvin, Rashad Jennings. I concur. In fact, I looked, I believe, again, my tiers, which I am currently updating, but the version, my version number two is available on Pyromaniac right now for free. I've got Melvin Gordon, my fifth tier for running back, or uh, even the fourth tier for running back. T.J. Elson, I think, is in my fifth, and Rashad Jennings is in the seventh tier. So I've got Yeldon not too far behind Gordon, and then Jennings a bit further back. He also, Jared Tabor, asked us to talk about Delaney Walker. This is several people uh, talked about this, and I said he's Delaney Walker. He's going to be moving up my tiers. His TPW, his top positional weeks last year, out of 15 games, he was one through 12 six different times. So he was a TE1 in a 12-man team six different times out of the 15 games he played. That's a better percentage than Ertz, Fleener, or Larry Donnell last year. Uh, Delaney Walker, one out of only five tight ends with triple-digit targets last year. Fourth Fourth most yards from all tight ends last year. And I expect with a rookie quarterback, he's going to look in on a guy like Delaney Walker, who also fourth most yards after the catch last year and third most broken tackles. Next question, we've got Tony Ralston uh, coming at us from Facebook. Again, great way to interact with us. And we're going to be posting weekly for a spot where you guys can ask questions. And if we don't get to you, I'm going to try to go back. Stags as well. We'll cycle through and either bump you to the next episode or respond right on Facebook. Tony Ralston. I'm picking last in a 10-team, two-quarterback league. I figured out that people in my league or quarterback whores, so quarterbacks go quite fast. So I'm thinking he says people are quarterback whores, so they go quite fast. Do you think it would be a good strategy to let everybody go crazy on quarterbacks while I gather up running backs and wide receivers and then go late on QBs? We only get one waiver wire pickup per week, so streaming QBs is not really an option. Now, personally, I'll field this one first, and then I'll kick it to you if you've got something else to add. But I says, no, I, with two QB leagues, I'm not going to let everybody take the quarterbacks. Many times the quarterback position is not as important, but when you've got two quarterback leagues, you know, they score the most points. Now, where there's maybe a small difference between QB number one and QB number 12, After that, it gets to be much steeper. So just for the amount of points they score, if I don't have a guy 1 through 12 and somebody else has two of those guys and I've got a QB scoring, you know, the 15th and the 17th or something, that's going to really hurt you just for the amount of points that they score. So I love late-round QB if you're starting one QB, but in two QB leagues, no. Uh, I would love to have a top seven quarterback, and then I would be very, very happy with a Palmer, an Eli, or a Bradford later. What do you think, Stags? Uh, I, I completely disagree. If nine quarterbacks go off the board in the first round, then I definitely take the top talent at running back. Uh, if seven go off the board in the first round, I definitely take the top talent at running back. The thing is, quarterback, here's how it works. One and two are heading over heels better than the rest. 
Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers are better than the rest. Then there's a jumble of like five to eight, uh, you know, players between three to six, three to three is almost eight that nobody can agree on who's in that next tier. Well, nobody agrees on who's in that next tier. Nobody knows who's three. Nobody knows who's four. Nobody knows who's five. Nobody knows who's six. It's all kind of a mix of guys who everybody's has different feelings on, different comfort levels. Everybody thinks, you know, Russell Wilson's going to add, you know, five more passing touchdowns to his repertoire along with the same rushing numbers. It's not going to happen. So, I'm perfectly okay waiting at least a little bit. We did that in our, uh, you know, super flex league, which is pretty much a two QB league uh, with a bunch of people. And, you know, quarterbacks flew off the board there, but we still ended up with a mixture of uh, Eli Manning and then the Eagles QB. And the Eagles QB finished last season as uh, a pretty good option. But over, you know, the two seasons of Chip Kelly's career, They've only been outscored by, you know, three teams, team QBs. So I'm perfectly okay waiting a little bit, just not too long. Um, I, I'd like to wait and maybe get the last one. But I'd like to get my, like, 12th QB and then maybe get, you know, the, the 18th because a guy like Colin Kaepernick is going to be pretty valuable in this league. A guy like Teddy Bridgewater is going to be valuable. Carson Palmer is going to be valuable. These guys all have a lot of skill, a lot of weapons, and there's just no differential uh, really between 16 and 24. Uh, it's maybe like a half point per game, a point per game. That's not going to hurt you. But the difference between those running backs who are up so high, getting the top sort of running backs and or wide receivers is just a huge, huge advantage over their competition, and you're just going to have a much more stacked team if you go that route. I'm not saying to uh, let you know eight go by the first eight are off the board than to just follow the sheep, but this is where you're going to need to have your tiers set up. And the thing is with the quarterback, if you don't lock up one of the top 12, I think it's really going to hurt you in a, a two-quarterback league. And this is coming from your own chart, which I think is fantastic. It's the differences in positional scoring over the last five years. I think this uh, we should post this if we haven't already. Nope. It's Pyro Pro, Pro only. Pyro Pro only. Well, to tell you folks, just looking at the quarterback, it's a pretty big difference. Even uh, last year, and I, I know you've got you go back five years, but 352.1 points for QB number one. No other position scored over 300 points. Even the fifth quarterback scored over 300 points, whereas no other position. You have the top five quarterbacks scoring over 300 points. No other position. The best player at any other position didn't score over 300 points. So with quarterbacks – thing is, they score so many. That's why I want one of the top seven or eight. And then after that, like I said, I'm fine with the Carson Palmer, uh, but I do want at least one of the top guys, and then I'm cool with the Carson Palmer and Eli, uh, Tannehill, some other guys. Uh, let me see. The next question comes to us from Alex Heimbuck. Legit question says my homie. With the Colts having high expectations this season and Frank Gore advanced in age, do you think the Colts will give him a set number of touches to try and save him from the playoffs? I'm having doubts of his value when it climbs into the third round. Much happier with him in the fourth. 
Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Alex. Uh, Staggs, I'll let you field this one first. What do you think? Uh, I don't think that they're going to hold back on Frank Gore. I think he's going to be their guy. Uh, you know, they finished their running backs as a whole finished 18th in the league, and that's with Trent Richardson plotting and, you know, replacement-level players and Zerlone Tipton and uh, Dan Heron there towards the end of the season. Uh, Ahmad Bradshaw gave them a big, big boost at the beginning of the season, uh, mostly because he was a great pass protector. That got him on the field on third down, and then because he was a great pass protector, he was able to catch passes and catch touchdown passes. Do I think they'll limit his touches a little bit? Yeah, I don't think they're giving him 20 carries a game and then five receptions. But I think he's a good bet for 18 to 20 touches a game, and they're just going to feed him the ball towards the end zone. I mean, here, the Colts scored six or seven rushing touchdowns last season. Do you think that number is in any way repeatable? No, I think Frank Gore can easily get to a double-digit touchdown mark, and I'm comfortable with him in the third round, uh, except I'm not going to draft him in the third round. I'd, I'd do it if I needed a running back that bad, but... Third round is my wide receiver round. Um, it just happens to work out that way, where I like the wide receivers so much more in the third round than I like them uh, you know, in the fourth and fifth round. So I usually take a wide receiver in the third no matter what. I love, love, love him in the fourth. His, Frank Gore's current ADP is 310. Uh, that's 12 teams. He's 10th uh, pick of the third round in 12-team leagues, according to Fantasy Pros' most recent ADP. Now, if Josh Robinson looks great in camp, maybe I'm a little worried, but I'm certainly not thinking anything about Boom Heron. I think Gore, they drafted or they uh, traded for him this year. They drafted Robinson for the future. He's a free, he was a free agent. Uh, oh, right. Not traded, uh, acquired, I guess, free agent, picked him up. Um but they did it. They did so for this year. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to save him necessarily for the playoffs. I think they're going to use him and ride him hard. I think they've got a rookie who they are stash, stashing for next year, maybe the year after that. And one thing I think is really going for Gore is he's going to see daylight. He's going to see fewer guys in the box than he's seen in a long time. They've got a lot of weapons on offense and arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the game. I really like Gore and I'm not, I don't like the idea of saying I'm going into the draft and I'm drafting a wide receiver in the third round. You got to let it be fluid. Now I've agreed with you. I've heard you on past podcasts say you're shooting for about a, a three and three, three wide receivers, three tight ends, or I'm sorry, three wide receivers, three running backs after the first six rounds. I might toss in a tight end there, maybe two running backs, tight end, wide receiver, some kind of mix. But I don't like the idea of saying this round I'm doing this. Uh, so depending on what came before me, possibly Gore in the third, love him in the fourth. I've ran so many mock drafts that I know wide receivers the third round. I mean, it's it just doesn't matter. <laughs> I know who's going to be on the board in the third round. Folks, it's, it's not, the same thing every time. I've done 100, 150 mocks already. Dude, he is not the James Brown of fantasy football for nothing. Hardest working, working man in the industry. I think I should just follow you around and like put a cape on you, and then when you want to speak to the masses, I'll just run up and grab the cape off you and let you digress. Pontificate. Yeah, no, hold up. 
pontificate, and then, yeah, I run up and throw the cape on you, and we do the good foot on out of there and go get some burgers. I'm hungry. I don't know karate, but I know crazy. The next question from James Malloy. Any advice or thoughts on sticking with a particular team throughout the whole season, but in a DFS format? I worry the format causes me to give up too quickly on guys. I wasn't really sure what to take on this. He's talking about the daily fantasy, I'm guess, DFS. What is he referring to here? I think he wants to know if he should take a team and try to play it every week in a DFS format. Personally, I wouldn't do it because... So kind of like a, a um, strength or a numbers? Um. No, I, I don't think he means a single team. I think he means like a regular team. Like, say, you know, you've got Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Anderson and Eli Manning and T.Y. Hilton and Jonathan Stewart. And those are the guys you're going to play each and every week in a DFS format. Oh, I see what you're saying. I just... Yeah. No, I, think... I mean, no. That's why they call it daily. The yeah. idea is to stretch your budget as far as you can and stretch that dollar as best you can, and it's going to change every week. That's why it, the daily game is completely different. So I say no to that one. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. Uh, what I do like doing in daily is playing my opponent's lineup uh, against me. So that way if I get a bad beat in my regular league, I still make some side coin. Um <laughs> And it's just a diversification strategy when you're a broke 26-year-old like myself. But doesn't, uh, that just, doesn't that just keep you broke? If you win in the one, you give up in the other, so you're just nil? No, nah, I'm playing the odds here. you got to know the numbers you're playing. So if I get a real bad beat uh, in my regular league, I can win a crap load of money on FanDuel. So thank you, FanDuel, for allowing me to do such a strategy. But that will also play other FanDuel leagues... You know, with just playing my matchups, playing the pyro rankings, playing the best matchups, playing the SOS, uh, picking and choosing the best values, playing very, very cheap quarterbacks, uh, playing replacement-level players, you know, just the usual strategies that people use to win in DFS. So we'll do a lot of DFS talk as soon as the season comes around. Uh, I think FanDuel's pricing just came out today uh, for the quarterback position, and I think they're rolling it out uh, little by little here. So by the end of the week, we should have a full DFS uh, for week one sort of uh, output. So that would be cool to look at. And we'll talk a little bit about some things about who we like early on. And then it'll probably change as we get up to the season. But, you know, it's coming out. And it's coming out soon. And we're like eight Monday night footballs or eight Mondays away from Monday night football. So let's get rolling. While I challenge your math in this whole diversification strategy, uh, I, I will second the fact that, yeah, DFS is a daily thing, and you got to look at strength of schedule. you got to look at all these different data points. That's why I think the Pyro Light podcast coming out every Friday is going to help a lot of people. We might see somebody who is uh, – their health has gone down, or they haven't practiced all week. If they haven't practiced on Friday, that's a big indicator of Sunday. So their value – for their backup, might be really gold for you going into a DFS weekend. But by no means am I looking to play the same team as I have, nor am I looking to play the opposite team. But uh, you can Twitter uh, stags on that one or send them some email. I don't know, brother. I think I might shorten your James Brown cape after that response, but we shall see. 
Oh, Cameron, you want to see my FanDuel account? It's pretty pretty nice. All right, well, c- compare your FanDuel account to all your other leagues that you're just... Uh, I, I only play one league, so I don't have my diversification's not that high. I see the strategy just being a wash at the end of the year, but... I, oh, I've cash had a lot of beer. King, baby. I've had a lot of beer tonight. I've had my last Val Verde, and folks, I am drinking Dogfish Head 60-Minute IPA. Uh, this is a pretty smooth IPA. It's not too hoppy. It's only uh, 6% alcohol, whereas the Centennial of Founders is usually 7.2. This is from Delaware, Milton, Delaware. They also have a 90-minute, which is a bit stronger. But if you don't like a too hoppy IPA, I think it's a little smoother. I do really enjoy the dogfish head. My next question is from Facebook as well, Cameron Osborne. Marshawn Lynch versus Eddie Lacy. Every time I mock, they are both there, and I cannot decide who is better. Well, Stags, I'm going to start this one. Uh, As I stated on episode three, I think the loss of Unger in Seattle is going to have a big impact. It was basically when Unger was in the center, who now went to New Orleans, and he was in for Lynch, it was a yard per carry difference than when he was out, and it was approximately nine fantasy points difference when he was in and when he was out. I think that is going to have a toll on Lynch. And Lacey, I'm really liking. I think he's one of the most reliable backs out there. I don't think Starks provides that much competition. He's a workhorse. I've seen him on other experts' rankings, number one. I haven't seen a Lynch number one out there. Anything to add, or you want me to roll on to question number eight? Do you? I'm, I mean, I think they're the same guy. I think it just depends on what you want, how much risk you're willing to take. I think Eddie Lacy is safer. Marshawn Lynch might have a slightly bigger upside because he's got so much touchdown potential. Uh, in, in a PPR format, I do like Lacy a little bit better because I think he's going to catch more passes just in general. Uh, I think he's a great, great receiver who's a little bit underrated. The things he could do in the open field as a receiver surprise me for a man his size. So I think Lacey's got that kind of chance. Plus, I think the quarterback is better, and the offensive line as a whole is better for Lacey. Uh, I also don't think anybody in the Norris division can play defense. Uh, and this is coming from a Chicago Bears fan. I think the Vikings might be able to, but they're not great against the run. They're pretty good against the pass, and the, the Lions lose Sue, so and fairly. So I'm not sure that anybody else can be able to stop the run in the division. We shall see. Yeah, I think it's lazy all the way, not only with that Unger loss in that same transaction they acquired Jimmy Graham. Both transactions, I think, are going to affect Lynch. He, he rushes less when Unger is not there, and in the red zone, Graham has to eat into the touchdowns. Uh, Stephen Wilt on Facebook. Stag party. If you went on a road trip with three current NFL players, who's driving, who's got the controls of the music, and who's asking to stop for the piss first? Now, in case you're not prepared for this one, I'm going to say my driver is Antonio Cromartie. Why? Well, folks, I'm a father of three, and I want some solid fatherly advice from Antonio Cromartie. Who better to give the fatherly advice for you than AC? Uh, after that, picking the music, uh, I want Gronk. Not necessarily because I think of his 
knowledge as being all that insightful in the musical category. But I tell you what, if there's one dude I want sitting shotgun when I'm rolling into different American cities, it's that man. Piss break. Uh, I'm going to go with Ebron because I could just tell that guy. <laughs> he gets hit by a, a stiff breeze. He falls down. You know he's going to be asking to stop every five minutes. And I tell you what, if he's not riding, bitch, he is in the trunk tied up. I want Jim Ursay, and I'm confiscating whatever he's got in his luggage bag and bringing it with us. All right, that's not bad. I, I think I might have a, a little bit of a different group that – is just going to rage real hard. So Gronk's going to be my guy who needs to take a piss because we're getting fucked up in the backseat. Well, uh, you know, while Le'Veon Bell's driving and probably getting us a DUI. And, and then, you know, just for diversification's sake, I think ODB could probably rage pretty hard. Uh, ODB or Edelman, just because the things those Tinder chicks post about Edelman is hilarious. Yeah. It'd be like hanging out with, like, I imagine Edelman is exactly like hanging out with a hockey player and, you know, hanging out with the Blackhawks after the Stanley Cup uh, at a couple different bars. Those dudes rage pretty hard, so I am down for anything that's like a hockey party. Yeah, you're not going home empty-handed if you show up with Gronk and Edelman at the bar, to say the least. That's the plan here. There's, <laughs> there's concessions to be had for all. Law Smith comes at you on Facebook. His question, more in-depth analysis on Jordan Cameron, Zach Ertz, Julius Thomas, Vernon Davis, and other mid-tier tight end. Now, we've already talked a little bit about Delaney Walker, and I really think this could be something we could bump to episode, uh, the next episode, episode five, uh, do some spotlights. But essentially, out of those guys, to, to give a real quick lowdown, I'm looking to target Ertz, Ertz out of that list. I think he's going to pop this year. I talked a little bit about it with D-Rex on episode three. I think for the return on investment, he is one of the guys that are going to provide the most. Cameron, for me, too many concussions. Julius Thomas has to be the right ADP. And by the way, currently he's uh, seventh round. That's way too early, way too early for me. That has bust written all over it. Vernon Davis, uh, I like him as a bit of a flyer. His ADP is the 14th round, but a bounce-back candidate for sure. But personally, I'd rather take an Eifert going that late. Um, what do you think about some of these tight ends, Stags? Uh, I think they're all the same. I think Ertz is the class. I don't think Ertz belongs in that sort of group. Uh, Ertz is... You know, ADP is on the fritz right now. I think he just went up from 8th to 7th, and I think he's getting up in the back end of a 6th right now. So he's kind of flying through the roof. So uh, if you like him in the 6th, that's probably where you're going to have to take him. Maybe you'll get lucky and be able to steal him in the 7th, but I, I doubt that's going to happen come draft day. Other than that, Vernon Davis is a late flyer. I don't know what he has left in the tank because... Greg Roman did do some bad things, score him in last season. But before that, hey, he got the guy 15 touchdowns in a year, uh, and he had a couple you know, years there with Alex Smith. I just don't know that Kaepernick likes throwing to the tight end. He likes forcing the ball to the wide receivers, and that's not working out too great for uh, Vernon Davis. Uh, they're not using him too much you know, split out wide anymore like they used to. They're not moving him around too much, so... He's worth a flyer. Then the rest of these guys are all the same. Bennett and Julius Thomas, and these guys are just, they're going to need touchdowns to be successful. 
Jacksonville did not throw it to their tight end pretty much at all last season, so we got to hope that's something that changes uh, with the influx of talent uh, of a Julius Thomas over a Mercedes Lewis. But other than that, I would say check out uh, the Pyro Heavy podcast uh, and check out our tiers on tight ends where we talk about all these guys individually uh, for some more in-depth analysis. Absolutely. The Pyro podcast comes out 52 weeks a year as is the Pyro Light. We have just started rolling with this. We're looking to get Valverde coming up on a new show. If you want to check us out on Twitter, I am at PyromaniacMo, P-Y-R-O-M-A-N-I-A-C-M-O. The Mindshare can be found on Twitter at Pyromaniac. That's just at P-Y-R-O-M-A-N, the number one A-C. And we've been getting a lot of great contact and back and forth going on Facebook. That's Facebook slash Pyromaniac. Send us some questions. We had a lot of great questions, and let's hope we can get some more for episode five. And we are going to wrap it up. Stags, it has been too long, and it has been a pleasure. I just love seeing you on the other end of my computer. It makes me all a Twitter, sir. Oh, boy. You're very verbose today. Uh, Also, give us a review on iTunes. Subscribe to... uh, the Pyro Podcasting channel. Uh, you can pick up both of those as soon as they come out. Uh, they'll be dropped directly into your inbox on iTunes. You can also find us on Stitcher and on Spreaker. Uh, and we're just going to podcast for the rest of the season and you know provide some fantasy knowledge. Uh, this show will be on Fridays during the season, and then the Pyro Podcast will be on uh, Tuesday nights. So providing a little early week uh, information updates as well as that late week final lineup decision kind of news. So uh, check us out on iTunes, Spreaker, and Stitcher. Give us a review, and we'll read it on the Pyro Podcast. Thanks very much, boys. Hey, guys. Be energy givers, not energy takers. Give back to the community. Take care of yourselves. As always, this is Pyromaniac Mo for Stag Party. Thanks for stopping in for the Pyro Podcast Light Episode 4. We will see you on the flip side for Episode 5. Take care, guys.